So if you would, please turn in the scriptures to Philippians chapter 2. We will finish up Philippians 2 this morning. Uh, We're looking at verses uh, 19 through 30. Uh, Paul, of course, is in prison in Rome, and he is awaiting his trial, waiting to hear his fate. What's going to happen to him? He doesn't know. Uh, He is somewhat convinced that he will be released, but he is also aware that he may be martyred. And so anywhere between martyrdom and being released is his fate, and he is awaiting that. So he writes to the Philippians uh, who had had much concern for Paul, and they sent their friend Epaphroditus, they sent him to Paul. They sent some money with him, and, uh, and then they encouraged him to stay with Paul and minister to him. Uh, while he is there in prison, and to do so on their behalf. Uh, Timothy, who is Paul's trusted ministry companion that we know well, uh, he's known by the Philippians too. In in fact, if you note in in chapter 1, verse 1, he's actually co-writing this with Paul. He may be the one writing as Paul dictates, but he is acknowledged here uh, from this letter comes from Paul and Timothy. The, The Philippians know Timothy. They know him well. He was there when Paul uh, went to Philippi and planted the church. In the early part of this letter, Paul describes his situation. He tells them what's going on with his circumstances, and he assures them of his positive and joyful mindset in the midst of this difficulty. And then in chapter 1 and verse 27, he turns attention to their situation and his concerns about them. And no doubt he's heard some of these from Epaphroditus, that there have been some external pressures which are beginning to produce some internal conflicts within the congregation, and conflicts that are actually threatening the unity of the fellowship. And so in 127 all the way through 218, and we've looked at this probably the last three or four times together in the book of Philippians, or several times I should say, Paul has called them to the necessity to strive arm in arm. So we see that in verse 27, side by side, arm in arm, in the face of these external pressures. And he's called them to be like-minded in the midst of these pressures. Well, this is going to require them being less self-centered and more others-centered. They need to have a humble frame of mind. So he calls them to that in verses 1 through 4. And then in 5 through 11, he sets Christ as the epitome or the ultimate example of this type of humble mindset and this sacrificial service on behalf of others. Last week, we looked at 12 through 18, where he reminds them and reminds us of what is at stake concerning how they are to live, how they are to think. They are the very reflection of Jesus to this broken world, and that is what is at stake when they walk contrary to His Word. So He calls them to live together in conformity to the Gospel so that they shine as lights. That's the phrase that He uses uh, to describe them uh, when they are walking as they ought at verse 15. And they're, they're to be shining as lights in this dark background of a crooked and twisted generation. So then we come to 19 and 230, where Paul seems to transition. He tells them about his plans, which of course, all his plans are subject to the Lord's control, subject to the outcome of the trial, which of course is the Lord's will. 
and the Lord's control, but he would eventually like to send Timothy to them. He's not ready to send Timothy to them yet, because Timothy is pretty important to him. He's a great encouragement to him in the midst of what he's going through, but he wants to send him eventually uh, to Philippi, and he hopes himself to come when he passes these legal troubles. But he also wants to explain to them why he has sent Epaphroditus back to them. And, and they may be anticipating that that's way too soon, that he ought not be coming back yet. But Paul wants to explain why. And he wants to give a report to them about his own experiences and circumstances. And he has some things to say to them about their own. And so he sends Epaphroditus to them. But Paul is doing more than just merely giving his plans and telling us what he hopes will happen in the future. He is also setting before them some very specific, lived-out examples of the very things that he has called the Philippians to. So with all that in mind, here we are in verse 19. So follow along as I read 19 through 30 and pay attention to what it is Paul is saying about himself, about Timothy, about Epaphroditus that will serve as examples to the Philippians and, of course, to us. Beginning in verse 19, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I may be cheered by news of you, for I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need, for he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because he heard, because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Would you pray with me? Father, we come asking for the help of your spirit to speak to us, that we would hear you, what you would say to us from this passage. So we ask for your grace, your blessings, your voice in our midst now. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, of course, the gospel of Jesus saves us, right? The gospel of Jesus saves us. Jesus' work, which are both his life of righteousness, which he credits to us when we believe in him, and then his substitutionary death on the cross in order to pay the debt uh, of death for our sins. This is what makes us right with God. This justifies us. It establishes our relationship with God, and it establishes the relationship we have with Him as His children, and He as our Father. 
And so we know that, that that's the gospel of Jesus does that. But the gospel of Jesus also transforms us. Jesus does not save us in order that we would remain the same, does He? He has given to us His Spirit. He has given to us His Word in order that we would conform to His likeness. Be righteous, and holy, be pure and blameless. To love God and love our neighbor as we ought. And he does that by putting us in a family, right? The church, where we grow together through worship and mutual spiritual encouragement. And within that community, God provides for us examples of what it looks like to follow Jesus. He provides examples here and now of Christ-likeness and of maturity in the faith. Who are some of the examples of that in our midst? Who are some of the examples of gospel transformation that we know and we live with in this community? Men and women who faithfully repent of their sins. Men and women who follow the Lord Jesus. Men and women who are increasingly becoming more and more like Him. Who do you follow? Whose example do you follow? Even in our congregation. But generally, whose example do you follow? Does anyone look to you as an example of Christ-likeness? As an example of faithfulness to God's Word? Living examples are important for us. It is helpful for us to see what following Jesus actually looks like in our daily grind, in the daily life that we live. And Paul gives us more than his travel plans in this passage. What he gives us in addition to that are three living examples in himself, in Timothy, and Epaphroditus of the very mindset and lifestyle to which he has called the Philippians. And we've already seen. So let's look together at that. He, in himself, Paul presents an example of serving with others, not being solitary in his following Christ. In Timothy, Paul gives us an example of selfless service. And in Epaphroditus, Paul commends the example of sacrificial service. So let's think together about Paul's example that he shows us here. He sets the example of serving with others. Now in 127, remember what he had told the Philippians. Stand firm in one spirit. Meaning there's more than one of you. Stand firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. And then in chapter 2 and verse 2, he puts it this way. Be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Paul then models this being unified in mind and spirit and striving side by side, arm in arm, for the faith and for the advance of the gospel. He, he's an example of it. And we see it in this passage. And we, and we know from Paul's life, he never served alone. He always surrounded himself and worked to advance the gospel 
with brothers and sisters in Christ. Paul did not live his life in a solitary way. He developed, maintained, and relied upon relationships with others. And we see that in the way he talks about Timothy and even Epaphroditus here. As he, was, as he has called the Philippians to be united in one mind, in one spirit, he gives us the example of his relationship with Timothy. Look at verse 20, where Paul says, I have no one like him. This translation, this translates a word that literally means like-souled. Someone that is so much like me. He is like my very own soul. We are like-minded. And we could understand this as being kindred spirits in a sense. Paul and Timothy. And for many others of Paul's writings, we know that there was no one that Paul trusted more than the like-souled Timothy to care for or to be concerned about the things that Paul cared for, the things that Paul was concerned about. In this relationship, we see an example of striving side by side and arm in arm with one mind and in one spirit, the thing to which he had called the Philippians. Well, look at the words that he uses to describe his friend Epaphroditus in verse 25. You see it there? He calls him my brother, my fellow worker, and my fellow soldier. We'll come back to brother, but I want you to note the words fellow worker and fellow soldier. Single words. One who labored beside me, one who fought by my side. Again, we get a picture of People striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Such was Epaphroditus to Paul. I want you to note as well the familial terms that Paul employs. He calls Epaphroditus brother. He sets the example that we are to see the church and the people in the seats around us as family. What was the relationship he had with Timothy in verse 22? It's like a son and a father. There are spiritual mothers and fathers and sisters and brothers and children and grandchildren right beside you in this congregation. I've said it before. I'll say it again. You will hear it from me until we begin to live it. Spirit is thicker than blood. It just flat out is in the economy of God. And this is what Paul sets as an example for us. And so I would ask you, in light of the way Paul presents his relationships with Timothy and Epaphroditus and what he calls the Philippians to, what he calls us to, are you seeking and nurturing such relationships in this body? Are you actively pursuing? Let me ask you this. Where is your band of brothers and your band of sisters where you are standing firm in the faith, where you are arm in arm or side by side, working together for the advance of the gospel in one another and in our community. Who's your band of brothers and sisters? Who's your people? Who are you partnering with or fellowshipping with in this kind of way? Who are your fellow workers? Your fellow soldiers? Who are they? 
They ought not be theoretical. You ought to be able to name people. This is what we are called to, brothers and sisters. Who are your spiritual mothers and fathers? Whose examples are you following? Who are your spiritual children and grandchildren to whom and for whom you are setting an example of dependence upon and reliance upon Jesus? Your Christian faith and your growth in Christ's likeness as well as your witness for Christ is dependent upon this vital, these vital and growing relationships. So are you taking advantage of the opportunities that we provide in order to develop these? Home fellowship groups. You ought to be a part of one if you're not. Because within those groups, you begin to form these kinds of bonds. You ought to serve with others, perhaps on a committee of our church. You will learn more about that on the 29th of, of uh, January. You ought to participate more and more in corporate prayer times. You ought to have people into your home so you can get to know them and begin to form these kinds of relationships. It has to be more than just seeing one another on Sunday morning. It, it has to be. The kind of relationship that Paul is describing that he has with Timothy and Epaphroditus and the kinds of relationship he's calling the Philippian church to is not a once a week, see you for an hour, maybe talk to you, maybe not, and then go about your business for the rest of the week. That is a solitary life. That is a life lived on your own. We say, well, I don't need the church, I have family. Spirit is thicker than blood. In God's eyes, He is your heavenly Father. These are your brothers and sisters in Christ. Dare I say, they're more important than your family. Not that family is unimportant. It's not more important. We are called to serve together, side by side. Paul sets an example for that. Well, in Timothy, Paul gives us an example of selfless service. Now note in Philippians 2, verses 3 through 4, Paul warns the Philippians against selfish ambitions and conceit, and he calls them to a humility which counts others as more significant than, that, than themselves and then looks to the interesting concerns of others, not simply to their own interest and concerns. So did you see how Paul described Timothy in verses 20 through 21? In Timothy, see, we have a living example of this very mindset. Paul points out that Timothy is concerned for and cares about the Philippians. Unlike others around Paul, perhaps Paul's identifying these, these ones in verse 15 as those that are only are interested in their own things, they seek their own interest. He's also perhaps... Um, pointing at some of those in Philippi. Uh, they all seek their own interest. Timothy doesn't do that. Timothy served Paul. In verse 22, we see that, and we see that Timothy had served a number of other churches on Paul's behalf. We see that through the letters of Paul. In verse 22, Paul notes that Timothy's proven worth, that is his character of selfless service, has been tried, it's been tested, it's been proven over time. 
It's been proven by many trials. So his example of this selfless service is legit. It's legitimate. Jesus has transformed Timothy so that he is growing away from self-concern and self-focus and moving toward others' concern and others' focus. Let me ask you, what do you know about Timothy? You think Timothy was wired that way? Is he wired to move toward people? Is he an extrovert that loves people, loves being around people, loves having people around him? That is not the description we get of Timothy. The description we get of Timothy is he's timid, he's a bit fearful, and he's often sickly. All of those are reasons why he would probably be a lot more comfortable sort of isolating himself, kind of protecting himself from everybody that's out there. He doesn't feel good to be around people. It would be very easy for him to focus on himself and to withdraw from others, to seek to protect himself. But Jesus had transformed Timothy by the gospel and was empowering him to forget himself and to become more focused upon and care about the concerns of others. Now, some of us are extroverts. Some of, I should say, some of you are extroverts. Some of us are introverts. Some of us need people to talk to, uh, to talk to them and for them to talk to us. Other of us feel best when no one is around. Both need to grow in forgetting about themselves and move toward people in love and concern. Sometimes extroverts act needy in that they just, they've got to have people. They've got to have people. Need people to love them. They need people to affirm them. They need people to be with them. That's a focus on your own stuff. Just because you're a people person doesn't mean that you're for people. You use people. So being an extrovert is not what I'm calling you to here. Calling you to forget yourself. What if we instead learned or grew to focus upon others? Introverts. What if we forgot our fears and our discomfort and began to move toward others in focusing on their concerns and their interests? I would argue Timothy wasn't wired that way. You and I may not be wired that way. That doesn't mean that we're not called to that lifestyle with others. He grew. He grew in selflessness and so can we. So start asking about others. Not as a means of gaining access so you can tell them all your troubles or talk to them about your interests, but to genuinely learn about and be concerned about those around you. And then in Epaphroditus, we have an example of sacrificial service. I want you to look at verse 30. I want you to note 
It says that he nearly died for the work of Christ, but note why he nearly died. It's because he risked his life to complete the service that he had been given uh, to Paul. We don't know the exact nature of his illness uh, or exactly what Paul means by him risking his life for the work of Christ. But we do see that he served the cause of the gospel in such a sacrificial way that he nearly died. Risking it all for the sake of serving Paul and serving the gospel. Now this word risking is a word that's associated with gambling. It implies that for the sake of serving others and serving the gospel, that Epaphroditus did not focus on his safety or upon his comfort at the expense of his safety and comfort. He willingly served the needs of others. Risk. It's a word used for those who minister or care for those who have contagious maladies. They risk so they, they serve people that they might get sick from, but that's the kind of risk they take because they are more concerned about those they are serving than they are about their own well-being. They have no concern for themselves. Epaphroditus seems to have served because of the concerns he had of others. And perhaps he exposed himself to danger uh, by continuing to serve at the cost of his own health. This is self-sacrificial. And a self-sacrificial mentality is commended by Paul. And he calls upon the Philippians to honor Epaphroditus and receive him with joy because of this. Now, one commentator, Philip Martin, said this about this example, of this risky behavior. He said, such a word, risk, brings its own challenge and rebuke to an easygoing Christianity which makes no stern demands and calls for no limits of self-denying, self-effacing sacrifice. Here, in Epaphroditus, is a man who gives little thought to personal comfort and safety in order to discharge his responsibility. Here's the question. How much do you guard and protect and cherish your comforts and your conveniences, maybe even your reputation, at the expense of concern and care for others? It's a hard question, but it's a legitimate question from this text. There's a point at which when we seek to protect and guard ourselves, that we are actually more concerned about ourselves than we are for others. If we never risk our comforts, never risk our conveniences, never risk our reputations, let alone our safety and our health, in order to care for the concerns of others, in order to serve others, can we really say that we are loving others? Can we say that we consider the interest of others and count others more significant than ourselves? I don't know. It's a legitimate question that we need to ask ourselves. It begs consideration and evaluation as we honestly look at the example of Epaphroditus and we compare that to our lives. He's not saying be foolish. He's not saying be reckless. 
But at the same time, people of God, how much do we guard against being inconvenienced? Because we're so busy and frenetic in our own lives that one more thing is just too much. And actually all we're doing is kind of taking care of our own interest. Think about it. So here we see three living examples that we ought to follow. Paul serving with others as family members side by side for the faith and for the advance of the gospel. In Timothy, we see the example of serving selflessly in concern and care for the interests and concerns of others above our own. And in Epaphroditus, we see serving sacrificially as the example. Serving others and the gospel without concern for ourselves, our comfort, without concern of our safety and our health even. Now here's what we need to realize. Paul is not simply saying, so you, you people need to be like me. And you people need to be like Timothy. And you people need to be like Epaphroditus. He's not saying that. He's saying they're examples. But what they are examples of is, is the transformation of the gospel of those who trust in Christ. It turns people away from themselves away from their own concerns, away from their own interest, towards others and towards others' concerns and interests. Why? It does that because that actually reflects what God is like. That's the image of God that ought to be being reproduced within us. That's what we ought to be coming more like. And we see it most clearly in our Savior, the Lord Jesus. For it was Jesus who showed us and lived out of this reality of the larger family of God, right? He came. He became like one of us. He was not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters as He came to bring many sons and daughters to glory in loving fellowship with His and with our Father. This He did through this mindset that we've read about in Philippians 2 verses 5-11 through 11, where He came and He served us selflessly and sacrificially up to and including death and death on a cross. And then as our resurrected and exalted King, He by His Word and His Spirit is at work in us. It is God who works in us both to will and to work His good pleasure. He's at work within us by His Word and Spirit transforming us into the kinds of people that we see in Paul and Timothy and Epaphroditus. All around us, we have brothers and sisters in Christ who are being conformed to Christ's likeness. That's what he's producing. Indeed, they, we, are becoming brighter and brighter lights and stars. Remember that phrase from verse 15. Lights and stars in the dark generation that he describes as crooked and twisted. But we know that we shine only as brightly as Christ and Christ-like character is reflected by us. So like mirrors reflecting the sunlight, the more direct the mirror catches the light, the brighter the reflection. For mirrors to catch the most direct light from the sun, they have to be turned toward the sun to catch that maximum light. For you and I to reflect, we too 
must turn toward Jesus in His beauty, in His glory, in His light. Which means we focus upon Him. We depend upon Him. We rely upon Him. We strive to know Him and ultimately to rest on Him. Resting means leaning into, relying upon. It doesn't mean not doing anything. It means reliance upon. And as we do that, we reflect more directly Jesus and His light so that we do appear to be shining. Remember Moses coming down from Sinai, reflecting the glory that he has just seen and absorbed, if you will. Thus, our witness to our neighbors and to our community becomes doubly powerful when we also reflect Jesus. Because not only do we proclaim Him with our mouths, but we also reflect Him and we shine as lights. And thus His witness goes forth. This is the life we're called to. How are you living it? Let's pray. Our gracious God, we do come asking for your help. We, we are not able uh, to live the kind of life that is described here. We are grateful for the gospel and we understand it is the gospel that transforms us. But Lord, we pray that you would so connect us to the gospel of Jesus and thereby connect us to Jesus himself and his person and his work so that we, we do more and more reflect this kind of lifestyle, that we do shine more brightly, that we indeed become examples of those who are being conformed to the image of Jesus so that He may be reflected, He may be seen more clearly by us. And that's often done in community. Lord, we see that as well. And so we pray that You will take these examples that we see in Paul and Timothy and Epaphroditus and Press them into not only our individual experience, but our corporate experience. Lord, may this become the kind of people that we are, a people who strive side by side, being of one accord and one mind and one spirit, humbly considering the needs of others more important than our own needs and their persons even being more important than our own persons. We pray your grace to become such people. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.